I'll give it a second. There it is. Good morning. We're so glad that you're here today. Uh, we're going to do something a little different today. Um, if you were here for our Christmas concert that we did back on the 4th, uh, these, the, these four guys, uh, we sang a, a song in the, in the program called Jesus Messiah. I'm sorry. It was called Christ the Messiah. And, uh, and anyway, it was, we just had such a fun time, I thought, why don't we do a whole service of quartet music? So this morning, we're just going to kind of sing with you uh, some songs you may or may not recognize. Feel free to sing along. But uh, we might just sing to you a little bit today. Would that be okay? And, uh, but you're welcome to sing anything we sing. Uh, this first song is called Here Comes Heaven. Why don't you stand and let's sing it together. Children weep no more, hope is on the horizon, weary world behold, your promised Messiah, angels let your song salvation 
Darkness reigns no more, for Jesus is greater. He is greater. Angels, let your song begin. Here comes heaven. Christ is born in Bethlehem. Here comes heaven. Angels, let your song begin. Here comes heaven. All creation worship him. That we uh, that we did the concert on December fourth, 
Uh, this, we're going to sing the song that we sang that night. Of course, we don't have the choir tonight uh, or today, uh, so uh, we're going we're gonna to pump that in with the track, but uh, we're going to sing the parts that we sang. This is called Christ the Messiah. By the way, if you haven't caught them, I've been releasing one song per, week, per day uh, of, of that concert. The, we, we did a live recording of the concert, and the recording came out so good. So if you haven't caught that, go to our Facebook page. Um, you can uh, check those individual recordings out. I've been doing the 12 days of Christmas, so I think we're up to, what is this, day eight, seven? seven we're on day seven. This is the, which was the seventh day of Christmas my true love gave to me a really cool FBC song. Anyway, it didn't work, <laughs> but uh, you get the idea, right? Uh, anyway, so tune in to see those. But this is, actually, this song will come out on Tuesday. Tomorrow will come out Johnny's song. You, you got to see that. Uh, so anyway, uh, without further ado, we're going to sing for you, Christ the Messiah. Christ the Messiah, born in a lowly manger stall, the precious Holy Son of God, Holy Son of God, blessed Lord of all. He came to us in such humility, a child but still our sovereign King. For humanity. 
Okay, you can't have a four, you can't have a quartet without a little fun southern gospel <laughs> harmony. Okay, so here's the next song. We're, it's called. Uh, let this sink in a second. Mary was the first one to carry the gospel. Watched the 
flocks by night I nearly fell asleep Another quiet, lonely night Watching all those sheep Until the choir of heavenly angels Pierced the night with songs of joy Good news I bring Christ the King Was Mary's baby boy Mary was the first one to carry the gospel when the angels brought the news of that precious little boy. Mary was the first one to carry the gospel and that news brought joy, sweet joy. A hosanna to the highest and to Christ his only son. A God's glory wrapped in swaddling clothes. The meek and lowly one. This baby boy will change the hearts of all who can believe. What the prophet told has come to pass. A virgin has first one to carry the gospel when the angels brought the news of that precious little boy. Mary was the first one to carry the gospel and that news brought joy, sweet joy. Mary was the first one to carry the gospel when the angels brought the news of that precious little boy. Mary was the first one to carry the gospel and that news brought joy, sweet joy. And that news brought joy, sweet joy. And that news brought joy, sweet joy. Now, one of the greatest songs I think that's been written in recent history for Christmas, Mary, Did You Know? Come to make you new. 
this child that you delivered will soon deliver you. Mary, did you know that your baby boy will give sight to a blind man? Mary, did you know that your baby boy will calm a storm with his hand? Did you know that your baby boy has walked where angels trod? When you kiss your little baby, You've kissed the face of God. The blind will see, the deaf will hear, and the dead will live again. The lame will leap, the dumb will speak, the praises of the Isn't that great? Amen. Thank you guys for leading us in uh, worship this Christmas. Uh, I'm good. We're good. And uh, Jesus deserves our very best of worship, and you've brought that. Thank you. I'm good. We're good. We're good. Hey, uh, I want to share with you about Christmas services. Uh, we have two Christmas Eve services. Well, if you are here in town, I want to invite you to come with your family. Um, Four o'clock or six o'clock. Uh, if you don't care which one you go to, the six o'clock has more room. Last year we had about 400 at the four o'clock and about 200 at the six o'clock. So uh, if, you, if you don't care, come at six. But we would welcome you either time. Bring your family. It's a great uh, candlelight Lord's Supper service. I'll share the gospel. If you've got family members who are not believers and they'll come with you, 
for Christmas Eve, I'll be sharing the gospel of that service. Christmas Day, we have one worship service at 10 a.m., no connection groups. Looking ahead to New Year's, some of you may be traveling, so in this service especially, I want to share with you about New Year's, we won't have an 8.30 service on New Year's Day. Maybe you've stayed up late watching the ball drop or the guitar drop or whatever you do, or maybe you've gone to bed at 9 o'clock, but whatever you do, uh, 9.45 and 11 on New Year's Day. If you come, we'll be open, you can come on in, but we won't have an 8.30 service on New Year's Day. Last week, I shared with you uh, uh, that for a few weeks, through the 1st of January, I've written two books, and my book on Proverbs, both of them are daily devotional books. If you, you need to be in the Bible, and sometimes a devotional book will help you to get going, because it prints a little passage of Scripture, and so for the new year, if uh, you're not reading the Bible or you need a plan, I'm here to help you. And uh, so my book on how to have a better life is a daily devotional book on the Proverbs, themes of money and relationships and anger and self-control and all those great themes of Proverbs. $5 only. I get no money from any of this in this sale. Every bit goes to our support mission trips from our church. We've got two groups going to Guatemala this year, going to Denver, going to Paris, and so it lowers the cost for our people to go on mission trips. So 100% of that goes to that. $5. This is $17.95 on Amazon today. $5 till we run out. Now, so people ask me about the other one. So in the Christmas spirit, I have donated a limited quantity of these. We had to charge $10 for these, but that's, it's over $30 on Amazon. And this is a daily devotional through the Psalms. 52 Psalms, one a week for a year. That, so if you're looking for a Christmas present, depending on what you value that uncle, $5, $10, you know, there you go. Uh, stocking stuffers, or if you're looking for a daily devotional. In our bookstore after the service, I don't make anything off of either of these. I'm not making money. I just want to help you and uh, to share the Word of God. So um, encourage you to consider that. Today I'm going to share something different in the sermon time. If you're here for the first time and you're thinking, is this the way he always preaches? This is not the way I always preach. Uh, but today I want to share a little bit of my personal testimony. Uh, I got to thinking about this. Todd uh, did the musical on December 4th and he asked staff to do introductory videos to some of the songs. One of the songs he asked me to introduce was a song about tragedy at Christmas. And I shared just a couple of sentences of my own personal story uh, in that regard. And I had several people come and talk to me about that afterward. And I realized there are a lot of new folks that don't know any of my story. And, and so I'm going to share my December uh, testimony with you today. This is not my whole testimony. This is my testimony in the month of December. I'm going to share seven events of my life that happened during the month of December. Some of the highs and the lows of my life have fallen in the month of December. And maybe that would be a help to some of you who are going through some highs or some lows in your December. I want to say to you that uh, I have not had great tragedy in my life. I have been very blessed. And uh, there are many of you who have suffered far more than I have. I have never known the loss of a child, never known the loss of a spouse, never had a cancer diagnosis. So I'm not saying that my story is unique. In fact, I'm telling it because it is, it is common. It's what we all go through. There are highs and lows in life. And what I want you to think about is how do you react? Maybe you're going through a tough December. Maybe you're going through a tough life. Uh, how do you react? I want to share with you my December testimony. So I was born December 24th. 1955. Uh, next Saturday, I'll be 67 years old. That's the first December event in my life. I was fortunate enough to be born into a Christian family. 
Not a perfect family, but I had parents who gave me five things. Parents, if you want to know how to raise kids, here's, you do these five things. They gave me love, gave me boundaries, gave me stability, stayed together, took me to church, and read the Bible in our home. You do those five things, you have a pretty good foundation. Tough being a parent. Do those five things. Give them stability, give them love, give them boundaries, read the Bible, take them to church. I accepted Christ when I was nine years old because of that background that I had. But the, the next significant December event in my life came when I was a senior in high school. Uh, it was in December of 1972. I don't know the exact date, but it was right before Christmas break, about this time of year before we got out for Christmas. And I was sitting in chemistry class. Class hadn't started yet. And the teacher said, uh, there's somebody out in the hall from the, church, from the uh, school office wants to see you. I went out in the hall, and there was this beautiful senior girl who volunteered in the church office. And she said, or volunteered in the school office, and she said, uh, we're having a Christmas party at our church for our student group this weekend. Would you like to come with me? And you got to understand, on the high school coolness scale, this girl was a nine and I was a four. I mean, <laughs> really. And I said yes, and I went to the party with her, and six years later we got married, and uh, the only good thing Cindy got out of it was a better name. She went from Cindy Kovsky to Cindy Cobbs. <laughs> that was the first, that, that was a high in my Decembers, right there. Nineteen seventy nine, we were married. We were living in uh, Fort Worth, Texas. I, we were both going to Southwestern Theological Seminary, and uh, uh, we weren't going to be able to go home for Thanksgiving. Had jobs, had school, eight hundred miles away from North Georgia, Blue Ridge, Georgia, where I grew up. So my parents uh, brought Thanksgiving dinner to us one week in early November. They took vacation, loaded up their truck camper. My mom cooked a Thanksgiving dinner drove 800 miles, uh, the four of us sat at a picnic table in a campground on the shore of a lake outside of Fort Worth and ate uh, turkey dressing, cranberry sauce, and pumpkin pie. That's the last day I ever saw my dad. Uh, December 8, 1979, about a month later, uh, Cindy and I were getting ready to go to a Christmas party. Uh, in the evening, we were getting dressed, Cindy worked at a bank, and uh, the bank was having a Christmas party at a restaurant, Joe T. Garcia's in Fort Worth, and the phone rang, and it was my mom on the phone, and she said, your dad's been killed today in an accident. He was 58 years old. Uh, he was at the church where, we, uh, uh, where they attended, where I grew up. Uh, he, wanted, he volunteered to take care of the property. They had a cemetery behind the church, and then behind that cemetery, several acres of undeveloped property and so he was mowing with a tractor and a bush hog and a dead tree fell on him and pinned him against the steering wheel of the, the tractor a neighbor passing by saw him and came but uh, he was dead and uh, so he died there on that church property and we buried him just about a hundred yards from from where he died there so instead of going to a christmas party that night uh, cindy and i Finally got a flight late at night and flew back to, to Georgia. Somebody picked us up in Atlanta, drove us to, to North Georgia. Uh, 
went to the, the funeral, and then I had finals all the next week, so went to the funeral the next day, had to leave and, and go back uh, to seminary. I made one B in seminary, and it was that, taking a biblical archaeology test that next day after that. Uh, I opened the Christmas presents that Christmas that my dad had bought me some tools that I opened that Christmas morning uh, after, uh, to he'd bought before he died. That was a low point. That was a tough Christmas. Cindy and I graduated from uh, seminary 1980 next year. Went to uh, pastor a church in Cleveland, Tennessee, near Chattanooga. And uh, after we'd been there about uh, a couple of years in 1982, we found out that we were going to have a, a baby, going to have a little boy. And uh, Zach was born. December 22nd, 1982. Uh, this week, he'll celebrate his 40th birthday. Hard for me to believe that I have a child who is a 40-year-old. That's just it's just incredible to me. And so, uh, in those days, back in the old days, uh, women were in the hospital a full three days when you delivered a baby. You were just going to be there three days. He was born the 22nd. That meant it would be Christmas Day or the day after. So it's December 24th. It's my birthday. Uh, I've been with him. He had to come home, you know, and spend the night. And I'm thinking, well, I'm going to be here alone today. I'll go down there and see him, but I'll have to come back at night. And the phone rang, and Cindy said, they're letting me out early. You can come pick us up. So that was a good, that was a good Christmas. Got to go to the hospital in Chattanooga and bring home my wife and our son uh, 40 years ago this week. Now, let me say, I've got another son whom I love just as much. If you know him, do not text him and say, your dad, your dad told the story and he didn't mention you. It's, uh, this is my December testimony. So I have enough grief from my family. Please don't, please don't text him and and tell him that, okay? Gavin was born a few years later. Uh, in, uh, I was there in Cleveland for 14 years till 1994, and then God called us here, came as pastor at First Baptist Church in Manchester, and so when we moved here, Zach was 11, uh, Gavin was 7 uh, when we moved here, and Zach was going into the middle school group at youth and at school. And in middle school, he met uh, this young lady named Emily here in our church youth group. And they dated mostly through middle school and high school. And um, uh, God gave me an, a wonderful daughter-in-law, and they got married um, December 17th. 2004, yesterday was their 18th wedding anniversary. 18 years ago yesterday, I was standing at this spot and had the, the honor to perform the wedding ceremony uh, for Zach and Emily. 18 years ago yesterday. That was a good, that was a good year. A few years after they'd been married, found out that they were going to have a baby, a little boy, uh, and uh, Emily went to the doctor, 
and they told her um, there's something terribly wrong. Uh, we recommend that you have an abortion to save the pain of a miscarriage or the pain of a stillbirth. Gave the, her a name of an abortion clinic in Alabama that they recommended that she go to. Zach and Emily said, uh, we're not going to abort our baby. And they changed doctors, went to another doctor, high-risk pregnancy doctor, and uh, found out he had Down syndrome, found out he had a heart defect. Uh, but he was born on December 17th, 2018. Yesterday was Cooper's 14th birthday, born on their anniversary. Show you a picture of Cooper. Um, he was turned 14 yesterday. Had to have heart surgery when he was just a few months old to repair the hole in his heart. Uh, but uh, he's a blessing to us. And you say, well, why'd you show? You didn't show anybody else's picture. Why, you got his picture up there. <laughs> well, two reasons. One, I was too lazy to look up all the other pictures. Secondly, I really want you to see a face. Down syndrome kids need a face. Did you know I read an article in uh, a few years ago, and the headline said, Iceland has eliminated Down syndrome. No Down syndrome in Iceland. Well, you read the article, you know how they eliminated Down syndrome? They abort 100% of the Down syndrome babies in Iceland. Well, yeah, you can eliminate anything. You can just kill everybody that's got it. In France, they... 77% of Down syndrome babies. In the United States, 67% of Down syndrome babies are aborted. The problem with deciding who deserves to live is sometimes somebody might decide you don't deserve to live as well. So we're thankful for Cooper. Cooper's got challenges, uh, but Cooper's a blessing to his parents and to our family. Yesterday was Cooper's 14th birthday on their 18th anniversary. My mom, uh, after my dad died, lived for 30 more years, uh, 35 years, and uh, she was an amazing woman. God blessed her with great health all of her life, with a sharp mind. She was the treasurer of her church uh, for over 30 years until she was 89 years old. And the treasurer in her church was, they didn't have a financial secretary, so she did all the work that our treasurer does and all the work that our paid financial secretary does, recording deposits, paying bills, all of those kind of things, until she was 89. When she was 89, she said, I think I'm going to train a younger woman to do this. I, th I said, I think that might be good. <laughs> i tell you just a story, though. I'll tell you a quick, funny story. Uh, so, of course, we didn't get to go, being a pastor, you don't get to go, to other churches very much, but which is about 85, one week we were on vacation, and Cindy and I went to church uh, with her, and we're sitting in the pew, as you are, and they take the offering, and the, uh, you know, before COVID, everybody passed an offering plate, you know, and they, they uh, passed the offering plate, and the uh, ushers brought it down to the front, and then they took it out the side door, and then in a few moments during the service, in front of about 250 people in that congregation, the head usher comes out with a bank bag and walks back to about the third pew where my mom's seated and, our, and we're seated with her and hands her the bank bag. And I look at that and I look at her. And when we get out, I said, What's, is that the offering in the bank bag? 
And she said, yeah. I said, do they do this every Sunday that they walk out in front of 250 people and hand you the offering? She said, yeah. I said, well, how much money is in there? She said, oh, it averages about $10,000. And I said, well, what do you do with it? She said, I take it home. I record all the deposits. I make the deposit. Next morning, I take it to the bank, and I deposit in the bank. I said, mother, when we get home, why don't we put a sign up in the front yard that says, attention thieves, 85-year-old woman brings $10,000 home every Sunday night, lives alone, please use back door. It didn't bother her. She walked a mile every day of her life. To she, she prayed that she would die with her boots on. That was her saying. I, wanna die. I don't want to go to a nursing home. I don't want to be a burden. I want to die with my boots on. So um, December 23rd, uh, 2018, uh, no, 2014. December 23rd, 2014, eight years ago, uh, she called me at 6 a.m., she was coming to our house for Christmas. She was driving about two and a half hours from Blue Ridge, Georgia, to here. She would come every year. And she called early that morning. We were expecting her to come that day. And she called and said, I'm not going to be able to come for Christmas. And I said, well, why not? She said, my legs are tingling. I'm afraid to get on the interstate and drive. My legs are tingling. And I said, well, no, you don't need to drive if that's the case. But I'll come get you. Don't worry about that. But you need to go to the doctor first. I said, when we hang up, you call one of your friends and get them to come get you and take you to the emergency room. You need to see a doctor first. And she said, okay, I'll do that. So I uh, hung up with her, and I got my stuff, got in my truck, and I started out, and I called her back just to see how she was, and she didn't answer. I thought, that's not good. And so I called Cindy. This is before the days of hand-free calling, you know, and you don't have all that Bluetooth and everything, and numbers come up. So I said, Cindy, I can't get her. Would you call a couple of the friends that we think might be the ones she'd get to take her to the doctor? And she called them. None of them had heard from her. And I thought, that doesn't sound good. Got Cindy to call a deacon of the church. They got a key to her house from a friend. And he went in. And apparently right after she'd talked to me on the phone, she'd had a massive stroke. She was lying there on the floor. She was still alive. And so uh, I I'm talking to Cindy, you know, back and forth, and she's relaying this as I'm driving. I get there to the local hospital where they've taken her, and her eyes were closed, but she could talk, and, and she said, did I have a stroke? And I said, yeah, I think you did. And she said, oh. And she said, listen. I said, okay. In my purse, inside a zippered compartment, is money for the grandkids for Christmas. I said, okay, all right, we'll take care of that. Transferred to Erlanger, I went by her house because I had to unload her car because she had a cooler packed full of food that she'd cooked and was bringing for Christmas and Christmas presents. I'd get all that and unload every car, go to Erlanger, and uh, uh, Zach and his family, and Gavin and his family, and Cindy come, and, and uh, they're there with her. The doctor tells us she's not going to live very long. And they said their goodbyes and thanked her for the influence that she'd been in their lives. And... Uh, she motioned to us. We, I want to tell you something. Had her eyes closed, but she could, but this time talking less and less, we all gathered around. She said, in my purse, inside, there's a zippered compartment. Got the money. Yeah, we got that part. You know, we know. That was her concern was for somebody else. And so uh, this time it's December 24th. 
uh, eight years ago. Uh, I sent everybody else home. They have kids. They don't need to be there on Christmas Eve. So I sent everybody else home. I stayed there with my mom on Christmas Eve. And um, uh, so uh, I'm there on my birthday on Christmas Eve alone with my mom by this point unconscious and she's dying. If you want to have a pity party, you can have a pity party there. I went down to the food court at Erlanger Hospital. They have a big food court with all of these, you know, restaurants, Chick-fil-A and everything. And, but I didn't think about on Christmas Eve, they were all closed early, you know. And so I'm standing there in front of Chick-fil-A with those bars, you know, in front of me. Then I go look for a vending machine, find something out of a vending machine. Uh, my mom lived till New Year's Day, died on New Year's Day. I've had some highs and some lows in December. Why am I telling you this? Maybe you have some highs and lows in your life. We all do, don't we? And, and you can focus on and be brought down by the lows, or you can focus on the goodness of God in your life, and you can choose. You can choose what's going to determine your life. I want to share with you some scripture from Philippians chapter 4, verse 11. Paul says, in the middle of this verse, I have learned to be content whatever the circumstances. And my question for you, as you approach this Christmas season with whatever memories and baggage and feelings it has, have you? Have you? Paul says, I have learned to be content Whatever the circumstances, have you? Now, I don't think contentment comes naturally to us. Paul says, I've learned to be content. It has to be learned. Our natural desire is, it ought to be better than this. I want more than this. I want it different than this. And we're unhappy because our natural desire is greed, lust, envy, jealousy. Somebody else has got it better than us. And if you are seeking contentment from your circumstances, you'll never be content. Because there is nothing in circumstances that has the power to give you contentment. Whatever you're wanting for Christmas this year, it's not going to bring contentment. It does not have that power. If you're not content with iPhone 7, you won't be content when you get the iPhone 14. Let me just tell you. It doesn't have the power. And if you think your relationships or your financial or even your health changing would in itself bring you contentment, you're going to always be disappointed. Circumstances don't have the power to bring contentment. Paul says you have to learn to be content whatever the circumstances. Now let me tell you Paul's circumstances when he wrote this. Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians, and Philemon are what we call the prison letters. Paul wrote these four letters when he was in prison. We think in his Roman imprisonment, how the book of Acts ends, it says he was in prison for two years. And during that time, Paul wrote this. Paul was in jail for two long years. This guy who went everywhere all the time on these missionary journeys and could have said, Why, God? 
Why are you leaving me here to rot in prison when I could be out changing the world for you, going to Spain, going on these mission trips? But he didn't. He said, I have learned to be content whatever the circumstances. He says in the next verse, in verse 12, I know what it is to be in need, and I know what it is to have plenty. I've learned the secret of being content in any and every situation, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want. What is that secret that he talks about of contentment? What is the secret that would enable you to go through this December or any other period of your life with some peace and happiness independent of your circumstances, not riding a roller coaster where you're up one day and down the next? The next verse tells us the secret of contentment. Philippians 4.13, I can do all things through him who gives me strength. Paul said, I can do all things through Christ. I can face any situation. I can make it through anything through him who gives me strength. The secret of contentment is the presence of the indwelling Christ in your life. His power gives you strength. Secret of contentment is not anything on the outside, it's on the inside. Secret of contentment is not a thing, it's a person. It's Jesus living within you can give you contentment. And so this Christmas season, do you have Jesus in your life? If you do, would you turn to him? Would you learn as Paul learned in that jail cell? I've learned to be content. Why, why did God leave him there for two years? I don't know. One reason, we got Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians, and Philemon that we probably wouldn't have had. Think how impoverished the church would be if Paul had not been stuck sitting for two years. And maybe the things you don't understand in your life, God has some grander design in, as he did with Paul's imprisonment. Would you learn with Paul? I've learned the secret of being content. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. And if you don't have him, you can. What greater thing to do this Christmas season than to invite Jesus into your life? Would you today just open your life? He'll come in. And be your friend and your guide and your strength and your power and more than that, your savior from death and from hell. So um, eight years ago this week, when I was in the hospital at Erlanger on Christmas Eve, I had a book to read. You know, I, I need my mom's unconscious not many people around I had a book so I, I thought I'm gonna read something that will be a diversion you know that would just sort of get my mind off this I like to hike I've always been a hiker so I read hiking books so I got this book by Cheryl Strayed she uh, hiked the Pacific Crest Trail uh, 1100 miles uh, had never hiked in her life and she set out on this trail I thought that'll be that'll be interesting you know I'll read that That'll, that'll get my mind off things. I, I opened that book eight years ago today, or this week, and the first sentence of this book was, my journey on the Pacific Crest Trail began four years ago when my mother died. I thought, well, this is going to be good. 
So what it was, she's telling the story of her hike, but you know how they always have a backstory woven in? The backstory was, four years ago, her mother had been diagnosed with cancer, gave her a year to live. She only lived three months, died suddenly. She felt she didn't have time to say goodbye. She didn't have closure. It wrecked her life. In the four years since then, Cheryl Strayed had cheated on her husband, divorced, moved in with a heroin addict, got hooked on heroin, got pregnant, had an abortion in the past four years. You talk about a depressing book when you're sitting there. This is the worst thing in the world to read. But I found myself doing two things as I read that story. First of all, I thanked God that even though I was there in a hospital on Christmas Eve, I had been so blessed to have parents who believed in Jesus and taught me about him and to have had the parents that I had. I was so I just thanked God that my story was not like hers because for the grace of God, I could have been in that situation. I hadn't grown up with Christian parents. I might have been as messed up and mixed up as she was. And I just thanked God. You can learn to be thankful in all your circumstances. And the other thing I did, I just prayed for Cheryl Strayed. She was one of the most messed up people. I've ever, I don't, uh, don't read the book. It's, she tells of her promiscuity. I don't, I don't recommend the book after I've read it. But I just prayed for her. God, she needs Jesus. She just doesn't have Jesus. She's lost her mom, who is so important to her, and she's gone through all these relationships, and she's getting more and more messed up. She even changed her name. Strayed was not her name. When she divorced her husband, she changed her name to indicate, I have strayed, and I don't know where I'm going. And she was walking this thousand-mile trail to try to figure out who she was and where she was going. Even her name was Cheryl Strayed. And I just prayed for her. Oh, God. Would you send somebody to her to tell her the Christmas story, tell her the story of Jesus? There's somebody who loves you so much that he sent his son down from heaven to become a baby so that he could die for you and give you hope and strength. Yes, you'll have to go through ups and downs of life, but there is within you when Christ is in your life an overwhelming power. I can do all things through him who strengthens me don't have him in your life right now if you'll say Jesus I believe you're the son of God I believe you came to earth at heaven to save me I invite you into my life my life's messed up I ask for your strength and power and forgiveness and salvation and he'll come into your life maybe if you're going through some highs or some lows you just need to, to say I want to learn this year whatever God brings me through this season to be content whatever the circumstances would you stand together with me? We're going to sing a song. If you want to come to receive Christ as Savior, pray, join our church, I invite you to do that. Maybe where you stand, God's speaking to you something about your own lessons in contentment and giving your life to Him. His love went on longing, his love 
went on reaching right past the shackles of my mind and the word of the Father became Mary's little son and his love reached all the
Hey, Daniel, can I add something to that? So first Friday night, of course, we had the, there was a big thing going on downtown, but we had 59 people here on Friday night. Last night, we had 366 people here. And uh, tonight, I'm, I'm expecting it to even be more than that. It's turned out that it actually kind of runs on a schedule like uh, 6 o'clock. We get about four shows in because they're about 22 minutes apiece. So we'll, usually they start about 6 o'clock, 6.30, 7, 7.30. And so uh, if you kind of aim for one of those times, uh, it, it hits pretty good. Hey, can I tell one more story? So, uh, I, and I had to tell this. Yeah, so as he was talking about his story, back in 2004, uh, I was serving at a church called Harpeth Heights Baptist Church in Nashville, Tennessee. Zach and Emily Cox attended there. Emily was on the praise team with me. That's how we knew each other. Well, when Cooper was born, I went to visit them in the hospital. I didn't know you guys. I didn't know Dr. Cox. I didn't know. And then so after, long story short, 11 years later, Emily introduced Dr. Cox and, and me when y'all were looking for a worship pastor. So how about that? Isn't that a cool connection? And so anyway, that's all I got to say. I'm done. I'm finished. <laughs> He's turning off my mic. So.